Good morning, good morning. My name is Bruce Rokas. I wear several hats here at Cross Point, one of which is preaching, and that's what we're going to do right now. Take your outlines out from your bulletin. You might even want to turn to Luke chapter 16. That is our major text for today. We've been in a series called 50 Days of Transformation, and this is going to be winding down in a week or so. We've been looking at seven key dimensions of our life that God wants to transform us in. Our theme verse has been Romans 12, verse 2. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your spiritual health, be renewed in your physical health, in your mental health, in your emotional health. Last week we talked about our relational health, and this week we're talking about our financial health. And we're calling today's message, Transforming How I See and Use My Money. Yes, we're going to talk about money today. Let's see your smiling faces. It is not a sermon about giving. So let me just take the hook out of this. There's no pain and stain in this. This is a message about how God wants us to view our money. He wants us to have a healthy understanding and view of how to see and use what he's blessed us with. Did you know? Did you know that Jesus talked more about money than he did about heaven? Does that surprise you? Did you know that Jesus talked more about money than he did hell? Did you know that half of all of Jesus' parables dealt with material possessions? Did you know that one out of every six verses in the first three Gospels, talks about money. Well, why did Jesus talk so much about money? Well, because he knew that money has a tremendous power in your life for good. And he knew that money had a, has a tremendous power in your life for bad. It can go either way. And so he spent a lot of time on that. See, if you don't manage your money, it will end up managing you in one way or another good or bad. And so today's message comes from Luke 16. And, I, and I'll just say this, it's probably the most misunderstood parable that Jesus ever told. It appears just at first glance, at a casual reading, that Jesus is approving of dishonesty, but he's not. So let me just tell you that right up front. We'll get to this in a moment. But he is using a clever crook as an example There are three things this clever crook did right that he wants to teach us a lesson on. But I digress. Let's get to the parable itself. Let's read it through and then we'll go from there. Luke 16, 1, Jesus said, There was once a rich man who enlisted a manager to take care of his property. But the manager was accused of wasting his master's possessions. So the owner called him in and said, You must now give me an account of your stewardship and report what you've done with what I entrusted to you. Because, watch this, here it comes, your time as a manager is ending. You're fired. You're out of here. But before you go, I want you to wrap it up, okay? Let's see. Next verse. The manager thought, "Uh uh-oh, what am I going to do now? I'm losing my job. I'm not strong enough to dig ditches. I'm not a young man. I'm just, and I'm too proud to beg. 
plan, plan, plan. What do I do? Oh, I know what I'll do. And so that after I lose my job, I'll have plenty of friends to take care of me. So he called in everybody who was in debt to who? His master. Not to him, but his master. We are so good about spending other people's money, aren't we? Especially here in America. Ah, Vote for something that gives me more goodies. As long as it's your money giving it to me, I'm good with that. He asked the first man, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil. Boy, that's a lot, the man replied. And the messenger said, manager said, okay, here's what we're going to do. You just tear up that bill and write a new bill that says you only owe 400 gallons. And can't you see this guy going, wow, can you do that? Oh, yeah, I'm the manager. I can do whatever I want. Okay. So I'm going along with this. Next, the manager found another debtor and asked, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. The manager said, okay, change your bill to say you only owe 800. But this is just between you and me, okay? Keep it on the down low. Now, when the master heard, (laughs) let, let me let you in on something, folks. When you're doing something unscrupulous, the master's going to hear, all right? He's going to hear. We sometimes go through our life doing things like, oh, nobody sees. An ostrich with its head in the ground. No, no one can see me. Now, when the master heard what the dishonest manager has done, this is kind of a a twist. Watch this. He still praised his shrewdness. That's important. We're going to talk about that word. He is not praising his dishonesty. Get it? Good. But he does praise his shrewdness. For worldly people are more shrewd in handling their affairs than those who belong to the light. Yeah, found that to be true. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No servant can serve two masters. You ever work for two bosses? Doesn't work. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot, I emphasize, you cannot serve both God and money. Now, let me point this out again. I I know of just a casual reading of that verse, you kind of say, something doesn't ring right. There's a few things that, mm, I'm not sure... I agree with, but I think it's important to note that Jesus did not praise this man's dishonesty, but he did praise his shrewdness. See, you can still learn and still benefit from others without approving of everything that they do. Does that make sense? You can still learn from them. If, if I needed heart surgery, pray I never do, 
My dad had two of them. But if I, if I needed it, my first question to my cardiologist would not be, have you read your Bible today? Or even, are you a Christian? <laughs> That's not what's important to me when I need heart surgery. What's most important to me is, have you ever done this kind of surgery before? And what is your success rate? See, those are the things you want to know. And so, Jesus shares this story with us for two reasons. Reason number one, his audience was the Pharisees. Reason number two, many believers are poor money managers. Let's do reason number one first. His audience were the Pharisees. Who were the Pharisees? The Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. And they weren't good guys. They were self-righteous. They were judgmental. They were hypocritical. And Jesus just loved to shock these guys. And so he tells them this story. Luke 16, 14 says this. The Pharisees dearly loved, what's the next word? Money. Anything wrong with money? No, money's an inanimate, inanimate object. It's neither good nor bad. It's how you use it. It's how you approach it that makes the difference. It can be used for good. It can be used for evil. But these guys dearly loved it. By the time you get to this period in history, the religious leaders have gotten so corrupt, they're all about praise, they're all about power, and they're all about possessions, and they're all about money. They loved it. So, When they heard what Jesus said, they made fun of him. But Jesus told them, You're always making yourselves look good, but God sees what's in your heart. The things that most people think are important are worthless as far as God is concerned. Let that sink in for a moment. See, what the world and what sometimes we, because we're so close to the world, even in the church, sometimes think that the most important thing is possessions or pleasure or power or prestige or popularity or status or sex or you just go on down the list. God says, you know what? The world craves this stuff, but that's not what I'm all about. Romans 12 verse 2 says, be transformed, right? And today, God wants you to be transformed in the way you think about money. The second reason Not only was his audience the Pharisees, he knew that this would be written in a book and generations from the time it was written, people would still be mismanaging money and God wants to teach us a lesson because many believers are poor money managers with little or no savings, little or no emergency fund, little or no retirement, and still living beyond their means. Spending all that they make not saving, and in many cases, spending more than we make. Why? Because we've got this little plastic thing here called a credit card or a line of credit, and it leads to bad things. And so this message, I told you, I already told you, it's not about giving, but it is about how to manage your money well and how to think about money the way that God does. Verse 8, Luke 16, 8, For worldly people are more shrewd in handling their affairs than are those who belong to the light. Wish that wasn't so. It doesn't have to be so. But what Jesus is saying here is, 
in praising this dishonest guy, I'm not praising his dishonesty. I am praising his shrewdness. Now, what is shrewdness? Shrewdness is an amazing ability, a keen awareness. It's being smart. It's being strategic. It's being resourceful and seeing a problem clearly and then knowing exactly what needs to be done to fix it. And regarding money, God wants us to be biblically and spiritually shrewd. Does that make sense? Now, from this story, we're going to learn four things not to do with money and five things to remember to do, maybe six things about money. And if you practice these, look up here on the screen. Let's look at the first one, what not to do with money. Go back up one. What not to do with money. Let's start with this. First thing, don't waste it. Someone says, well, I earned it. I should be able to spend it any way I want to. And if I want to waste it, I can waste it. Well, wait a second here. So you put your 40 hours in, you got your paycheck, and you're feeling pretty proud of yourself, a little pat on the back, but who is it that gave you the ability to go to work? Who gave you the eyes to see, the hands to use, the feet to even carry their, the very breath in your lungs? God did. It's all His, and when I have that attitude, it's all mine, and if I want to waste it, I can waste it. Who cares? That's not the way God sees it. The second thing that you don't want to do with your money is you don't want to love it and you don't want to live for it. Luke 16, 13. No servant can serve two masters. He'll hate one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both. You cannot serve both. Let that sink in. Can't serve both of who? God or money. It is impossible to live with divided allegiances. The heart of the problem really is a problem with the heart. I must choose what I'm going to love most in life. And most of us get it wrong. Most of us, we uh, love money and use people. And God says you got it just exactly backwards. You're supposed to love people and use money. That's the order in which God places the priority on this. In other words, he says, don't let money become your God. Let God be God. Don't love it. Don't live for it. Live for God and his people. Number three, don't trust in it for security. (laughs) This manager, I think, learned this pretty quickly because uh, in 16.3, he says, "Uh uh-oh, what am I going to do now? I'm losing my job. Some of you know what that feels like. It's not very fun to lose a job. This guy's whole security was wrapped up in his job. And you know what? You should never put your security in your job or in your bank account or in anything other than your God because he's the only one you can really count on. He is the source. Your job is not the source. Only one thing you can't lose, and that's God's love. See, we think that our job is the source of our income. 
Kind of like when you went to the faucet this morning in your house when you were getting ready for church and you turned on the water, you kind of look at that faucet as your source of water, don't you? Wrong. The cloud that rained, that filled up the reservoir, that sent it to the river, to the pipes, to your faucet. The cloud's the source, but who created the cloud? God did. See, God is your source. We're looking to people and jobs and bank accounts as our source. When God says, no, I'm your source. Remember, I'm your source. I've got all you need. Proverbs 23.5 says, your money can be gone in a flash. Anybody want to give a testimony? As if it had grown wings and flown away like an eagle. Have you noticed that on the back of your dollar bill, there's an eagle with wings? And it's, You ever see those fly away real quick, those dollars? Did you know that 70% of lottery winners are flat broke or even worse, in debt? Three to five years after winning the lottery? Don't trust it for security. Trust God. Number four, don't expect it to satisfy. Once you get it, you're still going to have all the problems you ever had before. As a matter of fact, having a lot of money can bring out some of the worst in you. It will not satisfy. The more you have, the more you want. They, uh, I'm, uh, a newspaper reporter asked uh, Howard Hughes one time, Howard, you're a gazillionaire. How, how much more money do you need to have? And he said, just a little bit more. See, that's the way we are. We all, no matter how much we have, we all want just a little bit more. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, Whoever loves money will never be, will never have enough. And whoever loves wealth will never be satisfied with his income. You don't think that's true, do you? Oh man, if I just made X amount of money, I would be satisfied. Let's do a little experiment. What you don't know is I've ordered a big pallet of $50 bills. And they're at this exit out here. They're going to have to go out this way. And what we're going to do is we're going to line up single file, and on your way out, I'm going to give you as many $50 bills on your way out before you go home as you want. And then once you've had enough, then you just you know, make way for the next person. And once the next person has had enough, you know, me handing them out. How long do you think we'd be here? That pallet would be gone before the first guy is finished. Right? Oh, just a little bit more. You know, you say, ah, oh, you can put a couple more. Fill my pockets. And, and the guy behind is going, would you hurry up? And the guy way over here is going, man, there's never going to, it's all going to be gone by the time it gets to me. It's kind of human nature, isn't it? Luke twelve fifteen. guard against all kinds of greed because your life is not measured by how much you own. Oh, by the way, I, that, that was just an illustration. I did not bring a pallet of $50 bills, all right, just so you know. Guard against all kinds of greed because your life is not measured by how much you own. Your self-worth and your net worth have nothing to do with one another. They are not connected. You are valuable because God made you and because Jesus died for you and because the Holy Spirit lives in you. 
And so don't conform to the way the world thinks about money. Now, I want to give you like six things here that you need to remind yourself of every day, and it will help keep this all in perspective. And and these six things really are uh, counter to our culture. Our culture would not agree with the six things I'm about to share with you this morning. They're just about as opposite as these can be. Number one, what to remember every day. Number one, it all belongs to God. I earned it. I worked for it. It all belongs to me. Isn't that what the world says? Uh, how many of you came into the world with anything? How many are you going to leave with anything? You know, before you existed, God said, I think today I want to create a universe and just thought it up and then created it. So if he created it with the word of his mouth, who owns it? You or him? Him. And if you were born with nothing and when you die, say you live 60, 80, 100 years if you're lucky. By the way, Maurice Hall passed away. He was 99 years old. We're going to be doing his service, I believe, on the 26th right here if you knew Brother Hall. But let's say you live to be 100 years old. And now you die. Where does your possessions go? Well, if you had heirs, they just go on to the next guy. Who gets to use them? For however long they live, and then they go on to the next guy, and the next guy, and the next guy. But it all belongs to God, so we are sort of what? We are sort of like money managers. We manage God's stuff. God allows us to use his stuff while we're here on earth. Now, one day he's going to give us our own stuff. But here, we're just like this manager in this story. We're not owners yet. Ownership's up there. Right now, we're managers. And what we get up there is determined by how well we manage here. Does that make sense? Whoa, that's a whole new thought. I just thought we all got the same up there. Uh, 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 uh. We all get salvation. Thank you for that, man. If I'm just the street sweeper in heaven, okay, happy for that. But God wants so much more for you. So much more. We're all managers. Adam and Eve were put in the garden. What did God say to man? Did he say, this is all yours. No, he says, this is all mine, but you can freely eat. Now tend it, take care of it, manage it. Everything in this world is ours to use, but we need to take care of it. We need to manage it. It all belongs to God. Verse 1, the owner enlisted a manager to take care of his property. Who did it belong to? The manager or the owner? The owner. And how well you take care of his possessions says something about you. Not only money, but how well are you taking care of God's body? You. Your health. See, your body doesn't even belong to you, does it? It all belongs to God. How well are you taking care of your children? See, your children are just on loan to you. They don't belong to you. They belong to God. How well are you taking care of... You can just go right on down the list, the finances. 
that you have been blessed with. Your time, your talents. This guy was wasting his master's possessions. And anytime I waste money, I'm wasting God's money. Number two, a second reminder that we should have every day is God is using money to test me. We've said this before, but how many of you have ever had to make a decision to either pay a bill or to give God his tithe? See, the tithe belongs to God already. And if you find yourself in this predicament, guess what God is saying from heaven? This is a test. Right? He tests us with money all the time. God does not trust spiritual power to just anyone. He tests our faithfulness first. And one of God's favorite tools to test us with is finances. It it tests three things. Number one, it shows what I love most. Matthew 6, 19. Don't store up treasures here on earth. Instead, store up treasures in heaven. For wherever your treasure is, there's where your heart will be also. It's a heart thing. You show me your checkbook, and you show me your calendar, and I'll show you where your heart is. Number two, it shows what I trust. Am I trusting in my money or my God for my security? Am I trusting in my money or God? And you can do that with anything. Am I trusting... God, for my happiness and my joy, those are all things we should trust him for. Proverbs eleven twenty eight: if you trust in your money, you will fall. But if you trust in God, you will flourish like a green tree. See, he is the source. He is the source. If you're not growing, saying, you know, I'm kind of just spiritually flat, maybe you need to check your checkbook because it reveals your priorities. And then it shows if God can trust me. It's not just can I trust God, but can God trust me? God is looking to see how well you manage material things before he gives you spiritual things. Does that make sense? We do that with our children all the time. Now, Luke 16, he does give a very important truth here. Now watch this. Luke 16.10 Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with little will also be dishonest with much. If you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, in other words, you're, you're spending more than you make, you're not saving, you're not you know, helping the Lord's work continue, stuff like that, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? See, you don't own anything on earth. It's all God's. We're just managers. But one day, God wants to give you your own stuff. You will own it. Here, you manage. There, you own. It's kind of like if Warren Buffett was your dad. And he called you in. He says, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you my, your inheritance. But before I do, um, I want to give you a, a portion of it and just see how well you manage it. And based on how well you manage it, we'll determine how much more I give you. 
Does that make sense? And so that's kind of what's going on here in this life. Jesus says, how, you're, how you handle your money determines how much God can bless your life. There is a direct connection between maturity and money. Spiritual power and possessions. Blessing and bucks. That's what he's saying. And so, it all belongs to God. I need to remind myself that every day. It's His universe. And God is using money to test me. And if you're going through a test right now, I get it. We've all been there. And number three, money is a tool to be used for God's purposes. It's a tool. Luke 16.9 I tell you, use your worldly wealth. He doesn't say hoard it. He doesn't say stockpile it. He, he doesn't say worship it. He doesn't say love it. He says, use it. Well, how am I supposed to use this temporary stuff? Well, you're supposed to use the temporary resources for permanent good. Well, how do I do that? Well, you can use money to save time. Have you ever heard that saying, time is money? Well, if it's going to save you time, guess what? It's going to save you money. Use your resources to save lives. Use your resources to do good. Use your resources to honor God. Use your resources to save souls. Those are good uses. What did Jesus like about this dishonest manager? The manager's plan was dishonest, but he did do three things right. Let's look at those three things right now. Number one, he looked ahead. He looked ahead. Verse three says, What I am going to do, what am I going to do now? So he starts putting together a plan. Some of you need to ask yourself the question, What am I going to do now? Having heard what God wants me to do with my resources. What am I going to do now? Did you know that most people don't look ahead, especially when it comes to saving? The average savings in Europe of the citizens there is 18% a year that they're putting away. The average in Japan is 25%. They live on 75% of their income and Bank, 25%. In America, minus 1%. What does that mean? We are spending more than we make. Well, how do you do that? A little thing called a credit card, line of credit. Not good. Proverbs 14.8, the wise man looks ahead. The fool attempts to fool himself and won't face facts. So what facts are you refusing to face? Uh, I don't need an emergency fund. Wrong. I don't need retire- to plan for retirement. Wrong. And then the third thing he did right was, well, the second thing he did right is he made a plan. He not only looked ahead, but he made a plan. Verse 4 says, I know what I'll do. Do you have a plan? How do you know if you're planning? Here's a real key indicator. Do you have a budget? If you do not have a budget, you do not have a plan. I don't care what you're telling yourself. Well, it just always seems to be enough. Always seems to be enough at the end of the month. No, that's not a budget. 
Proverbs 16.9 says, you should make plans counting on God to direct us. Not only do you have a budget, not only do you have a plan, you are counting on God for how to direct you. And then the third thing he did right was he acted quickly. He did not procrastinate. He put his plan into action. He did not delay, according to verses 5 and 6. He set that plan in motion. Verse 4 says, I know what I'll do when I lose my job here. People will welcome me in to their houses. Now, this is the very thing that Jesus commends this shrewd manager for. He thought ahead. He planned ahead. And he took the long view. Most Christians don't take the long view. We think the long view is retirement. That is not the long view. The long view is heaven. Thinking eternally. Thinking beyond this world. Thinking generationally. That's the way God looks at life. You know, maybe God had you born because He was going to do something great through one of your grandchildren. So remember that every day. Remember number four every day, the best use, the best use is to use it to get people into heaven. That's a good long view, isn't it? Verse 9, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. I know this sounds a little weird. And, you know, it doesn't ring right, but let's read what he's saying here and don't read into what he's saying. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends. Am I supposed to buy my friends? Is that what you're saying, Lord? For yourself. So then when it is gone, they will welcome you into your eternal dwelling. He's not saying by heaven. He's not saying by friends. We already know that salvation is through grace and faith. We got that. It just means use your money to make friends, watch this, that will last forever. Does that make sense? When I use money to help people meet Jesus, I have just made a friend forever, for eternity. I, I gain rewards for eternity. So think of it this way. You've been using your resources to help people find Jesus, and now you enter heaven, and hundreds of people greet you at the gate. And some people, maybe you don't even know. You know, we, we, we've done work for years in India, and Mexico, and Africa. We've drilled wells. We've um, done all kinds of projects. <laughs> Even, we made pillowcases, right? <laughs> Where did we send those? India? Where'd, they ended up in India? Okay, let's just picture this for a moment. If you had a hand in that, I, I remember Jane had me carry ironing boards upstairs because she's not a sewer, but she does know how to iron very, very well. But we had a line of sewing machines, and some of you ladies were there, and you were sewing. Others were cutting out the patterns for the pillowcases. And I, I think we did about 100 of these things. And then they went to India. And maybe some young boy, some girl, I just kind of imagine them getting this pillowcase. And, and they said, where did this pillowcase from, come from? It came from America. Well, who in America? This church in America, these Christians, these followers of Jesus made these pillowcases for you. And they just want to bless your life in the name of Jesus. And this little boy or this little girl, I don't know if this is going to happen, but I kind of imagine 
pretend in my mind, wouldn't it be great if somebody, because of that pillowcase, says, wow, why would someone do that for me? And who is this Jesus that they did it in the name of? They presented these pillowcases in the name of Jesus. I want to know this Jesus better. And then you arrive, and you were the very one that was sewing on that pillowcase or cutting the pattern or maybe gave the money to buy the material. And they come up to you and say, I don't know you, but I just want to thank you because you used some of your worldly wealth to create this pillowcase. And because of that pillowcase, I now know Jesus and I'm living forever in heaven. Ooh. Jesus said, if you give a cup of cold water in my name, it's not going to go unrewarded. Wouldn't it be great when you got to heaven, all these people run up cheering you, thanking you? I want that for you. How do you store up treasures in heaven? By investing in people that are going there. Does that make sense? Number five. Fifth thing to remember, one day I'll give an account to God. You're going to stand before God and give a life audit because you're a manager. Verse 2 of 16, you must now give an account of your stewardship and report what you've done with what I entrusted to you because your time as a manager is ending. No one's going to live forever. You're going to manage God's stuff for a certain period of time, but then it's going to end and your stuff's going to go on to somebody else but you will give an account. Romans 14.12 says, Yes, each of us will have to give a personal account to God. And you sometimes hear people say, I've got a personal relationship with Jesus. Good! You're going to give a personal account of your life too. The two go together. Number six, remind yourself every day, if I am faithful with little, God can trust me with more. If I am faithful with little, God can trust me with more. Verse 10 says, Luke 16, whoever can be trusted with very little, God can also, uh, can also be uh, trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. It's the principle doesn't just apply with money. It applies to every area of your life. If you are faithful with the gifts, talents, abilities that God has given you, he can multiply those. They will increase as well. One last verse and we'll close. Matthew 25, 29. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. Anybody want more? Use well. And they will be or have an abundance. Anybody want an abundance? Or are you just kind of happy with, oh, just barely making it? It all gets back to this principle. Faithfulness and little things produces faithfulness in big things. I'm going to have our praise team come on up. Scott, I don't know if you're moving, motioning me along. But you're in the right spot, and I guess it is time to end. While they're coming up, let me just close with this one thought, because I, I know what some of you are thinking. Yeah, but Bruce, you don't know the financial situation. I am poor. I spell poor with 40 O's. Not just poor, I am Poor. But you know what? Also, Bruce, man, when my ship comes in, when I really make it, that's when I'm going to start giving. You got it just completely backwards. You start giving now. That's how you get out of poverty. Does that make sense? It's not the other way around. That's backwards. 
you start where you are. Well, when I become a, a millionaire, I'm going to start getting... No, how are you doing with the dollar you have in your hand? Start there. I don't know about you, but this is one of those messages I think we should pray on, right? This is some tough stuff, I, and I admit that. And so let's bow our heads, let's close our eyes, and let's kind of go through a little mental checklist here. Some uh, honest self-evaluation. Does God really have first place in my life? Can God trust me with what He's allowed me to have? And does the way I'm using my money show God that I can be trusted with more? What or how much am I investing for eternity? And, and maybe the biggest question, who will be in heaven because of me? Well, maybe it's your turn to pray, and you don't have to say this out loud, but if you would agree with this prayer, amen, and at the end you could just say, Dear God, I don't want to waste your money. I don't, I don't want to love it. I don't want to trust it. I, I, I don't want money to be my security. I want you to be my security, you to be my source, Father. And God, from this day forward, help me to remember that it all belongs to you. Help me to do what this manager did right. Help me to look ahead and to plan ahead and to use money to help people get into heaven. Forever my treasure is, there will my heart be also. Father, give me a heart like yours. In Jesus' name.